Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Creighton Crowbar, an interview special in fact, that we're going to conduct with none other than Ioannis Troyans, who is making the game Neurocracy, which is a conspiracy and murder mystery that you unravel by exploring a fictional Wikipedia. It's very cool. Alex! Is it my fault? It is, it is. <laughs> How did you come across him and uh, what sort of interested you about Neurocracy? Um, I'd, I'd seen uh, Johannes on um, on uh, Twitter here and there, and um, one day he followed me, and that caused me to look up his work in a bit more detail and um, have a look at this game that he's working on. I just found the idea of a game that is based on reading Wikipedia. I found the idea of writing and designing and uh, and playing that game super interesting. So I thought, hey. Let's see if he's interested in uh, in doing a pod. And he was. And that led us to this very day. And this very moment. And without further ado... Johannes, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, Neurocracy. Um, of course. Uh, Neurocracy, um, it's been kind of difficult to pin down as a game even. Um, I never intended to make one, but Neurocracy sort of became its own thing when I came up with the idea of telling a story through a fictional Wikipedia. And there were a lot of narrative implications to that. Um, the world of neurocracy, the actual story that it's telling is something that's been in my head for since I was 17 years old. So that's literally half my life ago. But the medium, like telling it as a fictional Wikipedia, that idea only came to me like three years ago. And by then the world had crystallized so much that it was a perfect fit to be told in the shape of Wikipedia articles rather than the many shapes it had taken before. It was going to be a Half-Life 2 modification at some point, then a novel. <laughs> Neither of those ever got off the ground because it was wildly overambitious, but the world kept evolving. The idea actually sort of came because I had written the world-building details of neurocracy in a fictional Wikipedia just for myself to keep it straight and consistent. And then I realized, wow, I'm actually having a lot more fun doing this than any other aspect of it. And then I got the idea to present that as the actual thing to use Wikipedia as a storytelling medium. And that's how it all came together. <laughs> so there are so many things to dig into here, but, but the... Um... The world is um, is fascinating. Like it is the real world, but it's in twenty forty. Oh, what's the date? It's twenty. It's like in the future, isn't it? Yeah, they're like almost three decades into the future in the year twenty forty nine. Yeah, twenty forty nine, and uh, we are plunged into a world of conspiracy uh, and a, a bad tuna, <laughs> which I thought was just, which is like. It's like I, I found so just to just to sort of um, quickly give a sense of the kind of game we're talking about. We're like as the, as you play, you are uh, reading a fictional Wikipedia. It looks like Wikipedia. It is um, styled very much along uh, along it. It's um, it, it's kind of visual, you know, that white screen, black text, um, mm -hmm. simple boxes, um, and you are reading articles uh, about subjects and you're using links within them to find new things about those those subjects um, and uh, so you don't you know I guess when the game comes out you're going to know what what roughly a little bit about the world that you're going into but but to discover um, the kind of this kind of 
this history of a world where things have gone wrong with tuna <laughs> was a really. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I struggle to say that it's a nice surprise. It's definitely a great surprise, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, you, when you were seventeen, you you were um, you were imagining a world of bad tuna. Um, no, that came into it later. <laughs> but um, well, thank you for like describing how the game works. Maybe that was what the opening question was about, and I dove straight into its history. But um, <laughs> that's good. It basically, um, when I was seventeen, I read this comic, um, which was about a near future where everybody had a microchip implanted, and it was a you know total surveillance dystopia. And it was a single page. But it always stuck with me. So the idea of a world where everybody's got some kind of neurotechnology implanted, that's the one constant between when I was 17 and got the idea and what neurocracy is now. The Batuna sort of came into it in the middle because another aspect of this you know, science fiction world that I was slowly developing is that I've always been interested in pandemics and fictional diseases. And that's also something yeah. that I wanted to explore in fiction. And... Um, the bad tuna came into it because I decided to make the fictional pandemic of neurocracy into a prion disease, which is basically what mad cow disease is. And then I found a study, a 2009 study that basically said, oh, by the way, mad cow disease can jump over to fish. And we're not sure whether if you eat the fish, you then get mad cow disease, but we can't rule it out. So I basically took that and created this fictional um, tuna farming company that then feeds their fish with mad cow infected um, waste material. And then the fish get prion disease, pass it to humans, and that's how the pandemic of neurocracy starts. So the tuna were just yeah. a happy bonus of actually you know, looking at prion diseases, looking how they work, looking at how they work, and then rolling the world building around that. Yeah, I I thought that the the detail of it I just found it totally fascinating. Uh, like so so just to just to clarify that that um, you can play uh, all of all of what we're going to be talking about in this conversation uh, right now in the game's demo. So uh, these are spoilery, and yet they are only from the demo what we're going to be talking about. Um, but the. Uh, that the, there has been a pandemic. There are so many, so many par- like strong parallels with what's happening right now. Like mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic is the obvious one, but you know, I'm reading a lot of web uh, news stories at the moment about um, uh, uh, industrial fish farming, and I read a story just last week about uh, a Scottish fish farm where a load of salmon escaped, and uh, these are. Um, uh, uh, genetically engineered in some way or at least bred uh, and now they are now mating in the wild with uh, wild salmon and completely screwing up um, uh, the, the, the salmon stock wild salmon stock as a result and so mm-hmm. this is kind of these are topics of huge kind of uh, topical interest there's also the fact that this you know this is a, a tech company that's making these uh, bioengineered um, uh, tuna um, but what I really found fascinating was that the depth of research that you'd gone into in terms of um, the some of the, uh, the 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 reasons why uh, this pandemic had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about um, you know what led this fictional company to uh, start feeding its salmon with uh, bad bad cow brains. <laughs> 
Well, um, I've always been interested in hard science fiction where the science of it matters and the plot flows from that rather than the other way around. And when I was looking into prion diseases, I mean, at first I had just created the most um, fictional lethal pandemic that I could come up with loosely based it on prion diseases. And then I actually ran it by uh, actual epidemiologists and they said, oh, yeah, well, this is a society killer that you've created. So there's going to be nothing left if you unleash this. And then I decided to, <laughs> I dialed it back a little. I looked at the science of prion diseases and found that if I actually followed through on that, the world building implications and the narrative uh, potential that was there was very interesting to explore. And um, I was also eager to write about a pandemic way before we actually were hit by one. So uh, before COVID-19 was but a whisper, I had written the entire fiction of um, the pandemic in neurocracy, which I called Karyapamirin disease. So I'd written all that, including how that pandemic then goes on to sort of do what COVID-19 is doing now, which is accelerating the overlap between surveillance capitalism and biosecurity. We're seeing a lot of temporary health measures being turned into permanent fixtures of the surveillance state, which was exactly what my pandemic was meant to do. And then it actually starts happening. So <laughs> the fact that I based all this sort of on real science and I looked into a lot, how a lot of pandemics worked so that when one came along, I didn't feel like I was preempted as much as just terrified that no no future stop catching up to my no present stop catching up to my future this is terrible <laughs> and as i continued writing uh, a lot of other topics got dragged into it like a tech company um responsible for this pandemic by basically feeding infectious waste material to its tuna and they do that because it's cheap um I'm always interested in the process of things, like how things happen, how they get to a certain place, where in most science fiction you're presented with a world and the bad stuff has already happened. Whereas with neurocracy and using Wikipedia as a medium, I feel I have the space to explore how things happen, how disparate factors come together with you know, unforeseen consequences, which is great to explore if you're writing fictional Wikipedia articles, because you can basically look at all of those things from uh, differing, different viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. This is a game in which you will learn stuff about the real world. And I did not know, uh, I didn't had never thought about the size of the tuna market, you know, markets around the <laughs> world, you know, the potential for making fortunes out of it. But then also, um, in order for your company, your tuna company to be successful, you need certain yields and you therefore need your fish to grow at certain rates and and you know mm -hmm. that that huge problems can occur just because of these little seeming uh factors which you know become transformative mm -hmm. i just found you know i know a lot more about the um the asian uh the tuna markets than i ever thought it ever would <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's always been not really my intention but people have told me they found it you know educational they're learning about things they're exploring it as they would a real wikipedia a few playtesters got back to me to say that they had like 10 tabs open not just from the fictional wikipedia but then they went on to the real one to research more about um the things that i use to build the world of neurocracy so that's been one of the biggest compliments i've gotten that people are actually learning from it
Does that does that scare you though? Like as a game designer, um, you kind of need a little bit of a fictional space in which to work. Um, if you've got people, if the if the the lines between reality and the game's fiction are a little bit blurry, you know, um, and and players are using the same interface uh, to check the reality, uh, does that make you nervous about what you can do with the fiction in 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 neurocracy? It has made me paranoid in a couple of specific ways. One is that I tend to go really far in my research where I'm pretty sure, no, they're definitely going to look up where the name of this very specific Japanese sushi came from. I better include it or they'll think I made it up. (laughs) So I'm getting very specific with that sort of stuff. But in general, um, as the impact of misinformation in our current political climate became more and more clear, we took steps to make sure neurocracy always signposts that it's fiction. We put the date in big uh, letters on top of every page. It's October 1st, 2049. We didn't, um, there are other reasons there as well, but we didn't use MediaWiki, the official software that powers Wikipedia and other wikis around the web. We just designed our own, so it does look like it's its own thing. Um, and because the Kickstarter was so successful, we are now able to hire an illustrator which means we're no longer working with edited phot- photographic material, but actual illustrations. So there are a lot of aspects of neurocracy that communicate that it is fictional, but like any science fiction story, it's rooted in reality and real science. But that's the extent of it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you said um, we uh, in terms of the teams. Can, can you tell, me, tell us about who else is working on this with you? Um, it's me and Matei chiefly. Matei is a web designer friend of mine. And when I got the idea to turn it into a Wikipedia as a you know delivery for the story, I approached them and they were very eager to jump on board with this crazy idea and develop a fictional Wikipedia according to my over-specific uh, wishes. <laughs> and so it's the, we're like the core team, and then we have people helping us out. Um, we're very excited about the writers who are set to contribute. Um, we never thought that uh, the world would be compelling enough for people to actually want to contribute um, their own words to it, but uh, that's been amazing. And also we consulted with a lot of researchers, academics, um People who are active in the world, in the you know fields that we're using to underpin the world of neurocracy. So it's a team effort, but uh, Matei and I were uh, making neurocracy as it is. What's your um, what's your background? Have you, have you written anything like this before? Um, have you made games before? Um, a few. Um, I was always always been interested in gaming. I've played games as far back as I can remember, and. In my 20s, I was in game journalism, writing news and reviews, and I also dabbled in game writing for two indie studios. But was that back in? Was that game magazine back in Belgium? Uh, no, it was. Um, I wrote for a couple of different gaming websites. Uh, the biggest one was um, Beefjack, though that went belly up a few years back. Um, but I wrote for various websites, and I also dabbled in game writing for. Um, two indie development studios, but those weren't the nicest experiences. And my uh, experience with game writing, be it journalism or development, was always on the side of regular jobs. Neurocracy was just something I always had in the drawer, took different shapes, 
And then when I found the perfect way to tell that story, I decided to commit to being a game developer or at least a narrative designer full time. Because um, the history of bureaucracy is definitely rooted in the games I've played. I would say that the two most influential games are Deus Ex and Half-Life um, for various reasons. So what, what's, um, what, what's the, I mean, the Deus Ex, is that the conspiracy side of it? I mean, that, uh, just, just to explain, uh, you become aware that um, people uh, have gone missing uh, and there are people who have died um, who are related to the overall story. Um, so, uh, yeah, is that, is that the Deus Ex aspect? Yeah, Deus Ex was influential in a lot of ways. The one you mentioned where it's a conspiracy and you have to figure out the truth by peeling away layers until you get to the middle, the end in this case. Um, but also I noticed when I was playing Deus Ex, I took a great interest in the world building of it. Um, I loved reading all the in-universe material, the data cubes, the newspapers. I explored every nook and cranny of every level not because i needed another med kit but because i wanted to find every piece of writing i wanted to know about unatco about the nsf about ambrosia and that stuck with me more than anything creating this near future fictional world that is so compelling that you can't help but explore it um and also on a smaller scale i just loved the names of it, if you come up with good acronyms and names for all your fictional concepts, for me, that's half the battle right there. And I love <laughs> UNATCO. It's just such a good acronym. I love it. And I, <laughs> I, I, and I just really wanted to create a world that had some good acronyms in it as well. <laughs> so NDSX also influenced a lot of ideas about AI that I'm now implementing into neurocracy. And on that front, it's been like... If bureaucracy does nothing else, I'm so happy that it got me in touch with um, Sheldon Picardi, one of the lead writers of Deus Ex, and you know, talking to him about AI and bureaucracy, that's already been such an amazing outcome to the extent that I put him in bureaucracy as a supporting character. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so Deus Ex has been hugely influential. And Half-Life, on the other hand, because um, I modded Half-Life a lot, uh, creating and changing models. Um, and it taught me that if I wanted to make something or at least change something, that I could just do that. And I used, I don't know if Milkshape 3D rings any bells, but that was this that was this very old, um, very rudimentary 3D modeling software that I used to change all of Half-Life's models. And then that led to me, a few years later, trying to make a Half-Life 2 modification which was basically the story of neurocracy at that point, thinking, oh, well, I'll just make it a Half-Life 2 mod. Wildly overambitious, never took off. <laughs> but it did, again, help in crystallizing a lot of the ideas that I had at the time and made me commit to it in ways that are you know, still helpful today. So Half-Life and Deus Ex are the two most influential games when it comes to you know, what neurocracy is. How would uh, how would that have worked in Half Life presenting this particular story? Would you have been going around essentially just interrogating characters and having voice interactions, or you've been going to you know going to low poly fish farms and running scans <laughs> and things? <laughs> oh no, it was a wildly different story. Then I wasn't it wasn't a science focus, so there weren't even any bad tuna coming into it. Um, no, it was going to be like a Deus Ex like uh, shooter RPG hybrid again wildly overambitious for what three people can pull off in a Half-Life 2 mod. But the, what I did was um, 
uh, Half-Life 2 Raising the Bar, which is, you know, the behind-the-scenes developer book of how Half-Life 2 was made, yeah. uh, mentions that Mark Laidlaw, the writer of the Half-Life lore, would write these sort of faux movie scripts set uh, in that universe with those characters, but written as if they were movies, not games, just to sort of set the scene and, um, you know, paint a picture for the developers. And I love that idea. So what I did was, for this modification, I wrote the story of Neurocracy as it were a very shitty action movie. I mean, it is awful. God awful. <laughs> I, it's so cliched. I think it has maybe two women in it, and the rest are all just guys going about shooting things. But the conspiracy, the central conspiracy of Neurocracy was there, I, and I developed it completely. But it was just wrapped up in this horrendously shite uh, story about, you know, you're rated as an action game. So anything is investigated through shooting stuff. <laughs> but so we never really got off the ground. We got a few people interested and we, you know, made some things. We, I think we got to the point where we replaced a character in Half Life 2 with that of the main bad guy who was then modeled after my father. So there were a few different ways in which we did get some stuff done, but it was helpful only to the extent that it shaped what neurocracy is today rather than anything we did with it back then. Wow. <laughs> How did your dad feel about that? Oh, he was very eager. And even now he insists on being the model for the one of the villains in neurocracy, which we, <laughs> which we can do now that we've got the illustrator uh, <laughs> position. Excellent. So, I'm really interested in um, in the game's relationship with uh, with conspiracy because there's a, a there's a su suggestion you don't need to get very far into investigating this to discover that one of the um, uh, supposed ways of dealing with this pandemic is a, as a neurological intervention, which mm -hmm. also provides uh, states with access to people's brains in a in a controlling way um and obviously that i i maybe you came up with this before the current wave of uh, conspiracy theories relating to um uh, vaccination here um but i mean how do you feel about um paralleling that now is that an uncomfortable kind of relationship with reality that the game has um it is in such a way that i've had to think really hard about how exactly I present these things, given the current context for all the conspiracy theories and the real-world dangers they present. Um, I found that because I'm researching a lot of things that are affecting the world right now, pandemics, um, conspiracy theories, um, it is sometimes difficult to really dive into it because it's all so grim and dire. But on the other hand, I found that putting all that in a narrative context allows me to sort of process all that anxiety. And as I said earlier, I'm taking great pains to establish that it is all fictional, so I hope I don't contribute to any conspiracy theories. Hmm. But I hope to present uh, neurocracy as a murder mystery, which you know evidently has some overlap with conspiracy theories, but without making it sort of very intense in the way that um, uh, alternate reality games are, like ARGs, because right, neurocracy right. has been compared to those a lot. And they have, you know, they're rooted in the real world. You get text messages and it builds off audience interaction. And I 
Uh, I'm hoping that we can take make the effort to make sure neurocracy presents itself as no, it's fictional. You're not going to get text messages or it doesn't build on the real world. It is entirely its own universe. It's just jumping off from our current world, which makes it relevant and topical by default, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was wondering if you could um, say a little bit more about your your kind of personal philosophies as they interact with some of these these issues. Like, I mean, I, I think the idea of uh, the you, what you call the neurocarceral state is, <laughs> is a really interesting idea. I haven't heard that term before. Is that something that you came up with yourself? Yes, um, I know um, the carceral state is something that exists, which is basically mm. any state that that applies carceration measures to the point that it becomes an industry, as it is in the U.S. Then you can I say you can speak of a carceral state. And I just, a lot of neurocracy is just taking present day concepts and extrapolating them a little. So uh, once I read this thing about, um, I think it was explored in a Black Mirror episode where you can imprison people inside their own heads and have them spend a thousand years in there. And that translates to a couple of days in the real world. And of course, it drives them crazy. So, and that's based on real science. So when I extrapolated that and rhymed it with a carceral state, including the, all the technology that I had developed for all these fictional brain implants in the world of neurocracy, it was not a big leap to find the neurocarceral state. And it's just such a cool name, neurocarceral. I love it. <laughs> it's so, very good. So when you ask like a lot of my personal philosophies, it's just looking at the ways in which the world sucks and how it will continue to suck when it comes to, you know, the rise of fascism, the um, inevitable effect of climate change, all these things. Um, I'm just trying to wrap them into the story in a way which I can definitely point out that they are bad. I'm not, it is a very political game. I'm not doing any Ubisoft staying on the fence type stuff. Although apparently with Watch Dogs Legions, they did take a tiny step off that fence from what I hear. It's still a little bit wallpapery. <laughs> yeah. Well, with neurocracy, I do not want to be wallpapery. I want to, you know, I have my targets lined up. With specifically the the, um, the idea of like transhumanist implants, uh, mm -hmm. essentially bestowing huge power to the state. Do you do you see a way we can avoid that? Is that is this an, an, as inevitable a problem as climate change, or is that something you you see a, a way around? Well, I would hope that it's not inevitable, and. Um, <laughs> Basically, science fiction is never about the future. It's about the present it's written in. So it can serve as a warning. It can establish a dialogue or a vocabulary about these things that we're maybe not talking about yet, but that will become a greater issue in the future. I'm not saying that neurocracy is about that, but um, I'm looking at what you know, Neuralink and Elon Musk are doing. Um, so neurotechnology is going to be a thing. And when we look at how um, new technologies and new inventions are being commodified today with, you know, uh, tech bro, Silicon Valley culture, and especially the gig economy, if you apply that to brain implants, it has some really, really scary implications. So I'm just trying to explore that space, not in the hope of being a warning, because I just find it narratively interesting, but... If people do suddenly realize, oh, this could be a problem, then that's just a happy bonus. To, to ask you about the, um, the sort of the game itself and the act of designing it, mm -hmm. um, you know, the one of the things with Wikipedia is that that every 
article is fundamentally open to you at any time. Um, and I'm wondering about how you went about structuring uh, this game. Um, you know, uh, how you seed the the story and seed the the progression through through it. Do, do you gate off any aspect of it? The way I've structured uh, neurocracy so I can gate information is that was a whole uh, development process. Um, when I got the idea of using Wikipedia as a medium, I remember specifically because I got it as I was going to sleep and then I was awake the whole night as the narrative implications came to me. But um, the first idea that I had was to just present it as is. Like, the bad things have happened. You're coming in at the end of it, and you have all these articles that explain what happened. And through exploring those articles, you piece together um, uh, the world and the story, basically like Gone Home. The house is empty, you come in, and then you piece together what happened. Mm. But then as I was developing this, uh, it became sort of hokey, um, just to contain information within certain articles because, no, this would be mentioned here and this would logically be there. And then sort of slowly develop the idea of what if I can add an episodic episodic progression to this where yeah. um, the like the fictional Wikipedia in neurocracy is called uh, Omnipedia. So the first time you access Omnipedia when it's released, there's only a couple of articles available. And um, I got the idea when I basically looked at all the uh, functions Wikipedia has. One of those is a revision history, where you can basically, for any article, go back in and check out its entire edit history, including its previous versions across you know, since it was first put up. So I thought, what if I implement a system like that into Omnipedia, where people can't really edit articles, because I think that would be very, very difficult to follow up. But I can create different versions of the same article that, you know, oh, on this day, this edit was added, and on this day, that was changed or deleted. So then I got the idea to tell the story across consecutive days, where each day in the universe translates to new articles being added, existing articles being edited. And that's how I gate off certain information. That's how I can push the story in one direction and then in one update push it down another with a single article. Mm. So that's how um, the story plays out across different episodes rather than it just being this monolith. I'm really interested in some of the ways that you've uh, sort of adapted Wikipedia to sort of limit the scope of the project because obviously Wikipedia is so open-ended you can spend hours there you can you know end up sprawling from one topic to another very easily and you you simply can't do that with this this project um, so maybe you could talk a little about how you've how you've changed the way that Wikipedia functions in subtle ways that still feel Wikipedia-y but actually limit the uh, amount that the, the player can just be overwhelmed by yeah that's definitely something that uh, people who've tried it out have uh, said that they f it feels like Wikipedia even though it isn't. And that was also um, a process of iteration where um, obviously recreating the sheer expanse of Wikipedia's content is infeasible. And expecting people to then, you know, explore it entirely, that's, that's too big an ask. So there are two ways in which we condense all of Wikipedia into a uh, its own little microcosmos that you can, in fact, explore. And one was 
we uh, a self-imposed rule where we couldn't recreate an article that was already on Wikipedia. So if it's on Wikipedia, it can't be on Omnipedia. It always has to be fictional. Hmm. If it's real, we can only implement it in the form of you know a little stub where if you hover over a specific term, it doesn't take you to that article. It just in a few sentences explains what that is and then you move on. That was a system, like a system of these stubs was something that we implemented um, like midway through development because at first the plan was if we only have the fictional articles on Omnipedia, then each article would only have like two or three functioning links and it would just be blank text otherwise. That completely defeats the purpose of what Wikipedia is. It has a lot of hyperlinks. So we found a middle ground where if we use these stubs, um, which are modeled on uh, article previews on Wikipedia, where if you hover over a link, it gives you a little explanation before you can click through. So we copied that over to Omnipedia, which then in turn became an interesting narrative device within the context of its episodic release, where you can have an article which has two or three functioning links and then a whole bunch of stubs. Um, this allowed us to introduce a lot more fictional concepts that we didn't need to also write articles for, because that, again, would have been so much to know, will I write an article about the neurocarceral state? I could, but I could also just keep it as the stub and have that imply a whole bunch of things. Because you also have to think about um, distracting the player as well. You don't really, you, you kind of need the player to be focused on the thing, the story, you know, the thing that they're meant to be chasing down and inquiring after. And, you know, like the the color of the world is important, but you don't necessarily want them to go there. Yeah. And in another sense, um, because I don't want them to be pulled out of it, because what we did earlier was to replicate the amount of hyperlinks, we just linked out to actual Wikipedia for stuff that, you know, we just needed explained. And then we found that that genuinely ripped people out of the year 2049, and then they just started browsing on Wikipedia instead of Omnipedia. So in order to keep people on Omnipedia, we implemented the stubs and combined that with the episodic system. So if it's a stub on one day, it might as well be an article on the next day. You know, no, the, um, for instance, we introduced this character in the first couple of episodes, um, a scientist called Connie Muren, who's one of the scientists who discovered Karyabamuren disease. And she initially, she's only a stub. Like you only learn about, uh, you only get a few lines about her life. And it only tells you that she disappeared. So immediately there's a mystery there. But then later we can add that article. So we replace the stub with the article. And that's how we gate information while not signposting what is going to be important to the story, because with all the stubs that communicate fictional concepts, each and every one of those could conceivably be turned into an article down the road. You just don't know which one, which is a way of us to avoid telling you what's going to be important to the story. How do you make sure that the player knows things have been updated uh, in the subsequent episode? Basically, we have included uh, a tutorial in Omnipedia by including an article about Omnipedia. Um, so, and it describes how the website works within its fictional 2049 context, but it will explain that, hey, articles get updated as more days are added. And that's initially the first article that's available. So it's, it's with a way for us to include a tutorial without pulling you out of the experience by basically taking you aside and telling you like, hey, here's how it works, now go. And 
we found that because most everyone is familiar with Wikipedia and how it works and how to browse it. So we feel that we don't need to teach you the grammar of interaction of neurocracy because it's a Wikipedia. You can dive right in. And that's why, even though it's a condensed version, a lot of things are the same. You can click random article. Um, you can switch between different edits. So a lot of things are in the same place. The main uh, page has a featured article and a news box, just as they are on Wikipedia. So um, if you're at all familiar with Wikipedia, you can dive right into Omnipedia. And we explain how specifically it works in the narrative mechanics in the Omnipedia article. How does the episode system work? Like, What triggers the, uh, the, the game to pass from episode to episode? That's um, it's in that sense. It's more of a series where it's like a weekly release. Um, uh, we have a you know a narrative structure set where we know which articles to release when, leading to a climax at the end. So it's not that you have to get to a certain amount of articles or have to click through to something to trigger the next episode. It's just released on a weekly basis. So in real time, you mean? So so you buy the game and a week later, the next day's stuff will be there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, an episodic system that basically we control. We have experimented with ways of, you know, making it like its own, um, its own thing where it's independent of us, but that got pushed us back to the um, territory of coming in at the end and having all articles available immediately. And we did, couldn't find a way to make that work. So in this episodic system, which we sort of tested out over the past couple of months with a small community, has proven to work in the sense that people were genuinely looking forward to the next episodes. If you create mystery, then people generally, you know, they want to dive in and they want to explore and they want more information. That's a cool idea. Like it, it feels brave to me because, um, I mean, I, I for the, for the time, the less time rich people, you know, you've got like, you've got, you've got a variety of players, you know, some of whom have lots of time and they will sink themselves right into it and read everything. And they'll be kind of excited, you know, can't wait for the next episode. Um, uh, my Netflix is filled with uh, um, series which I'm enjoying, and I've kind of not had time to finish. <laughs> how do you um, how you do how do you design around those um, those kind of players? That's sort of been um, the thought process. There has been that bureaucracy. It's a game, but it can also be seen as sort of an epistolary novel, where you know an epistolary novel is where it's written as a series of in-universe documents. And the fact that I'm using that we're using Wikipedia means there's more interactivity to that document. So I find that it sort of hovers between games and books, yeah. but it also takes elements from um, sort of uh, police procedurals um, and mystery podcasts uh, like a Serial, um, where in the first episode sets the scene, sets the stage and introduces a mystery and then the next episode gives you more information and then it goes on and on like that. So that and the story of neurocracy already lent itself to that kind of mystery before the Wikipedia aspect came into it. So the idea of turning it into like a serial where it's weekly releases was always appealing to us. And because it's a website, you don't need to download anything. It's it, it's basically a Wikipedia that you consult in your browser. It yeah. felt like something low impact, low footprint that you can just you know consult whenever on your phone if you like. What's it like to to write for? Do you find that um, Wikipedia dryness uh, necessary? Dryness. The storyline is not dry, um, but the, <laughs> the style kind of has to be that in, 
what's the word impassive the you know yeah curated dispassionate dispassionate that's the word yeah what's it like to to sustain that uh, kind of writing well in a way it's great because it's exactly how i love to write um i've dabbled in a lot of different kinds but i find that this sort of you know dry encyclopedic style works with you know what i feel i can put to paper um I don't feel overly confident in my ability to write convincing prose or, you know, emotional characters, but I am, I do feel I'm confident in world building and presenting that and sort of technical manuals. I love reading those and then writing consistently in that style for neurocracy just feels like I can best communicate the ideas in my head in a way that then sort of dovetails with the medium in which I'm presenting it. Um, there's actually another uh, game which was influential there, um, which was the 1998 Sin, which came out right before Half-Life and was then crushed by it. Um, and I loved Sin because I only got Half-Life in 1999, a year later, so I had a year to play Sin first. And what I really loved about that game was the manual because the first sort of 40 pages of it were like an in-universe diary of uh, the protagonist of Sin, ridiculously named John R. Blade. And it was just <laughs> like you could dive into the world of the game. It was a near-future world, still, still felt contemporary and modern. But I loved that, and I ate it up. I loved reading about that world. There was concept art. There were like weapon manuals that introduces the gameplay but it did it through the medium of this fictional world and i love that and so the idea of actually using that like a game manual that said that explain explores this universe like that and then using it as the actual game always appealed to me and getting to write that is just you know it's exactly what i like to do of course you could look at it as saying oh he's only interested in world building and he's just not doing everything else so he just gives you the world and then you have to do uh, the actual legwork when it comes to the story. Well, that's another way of looking at it. So you've you've had a successful Kickstarter. What's left to do? Well, a lot of writing still. Uh, not all the articles are fleshed out yet, but the Kickstarter was mostly for funds that we can now use for uh, guest writers. Um, we've approached a few and were baffled when some said yes. <laughs> and um, the audiovisual aspect of neurocracy was always something that we were thinking about, okay, how do we do that? Um, initially, we were considering using edited photography, you know, stock footage, which the current uh, neurocracy demo features because... That's the budget option. But now um, the Kickstarter will, enables us to hire an illustrator. So basically, I can say, we can say, um, okay, for this article, we need a photo op of these two characters sharing sushi in a Japanese restaurant. And then the illustrator can draw that, illustrator can draw that, and we can add it to its relevant Wikipedia article. So it's another narrative vector because we can design the world through you know, the visual language there as much as we can in the actual text of Omnipedia. So it's just an, uh, we're very excited about the narrative potential that uh, it comes with using an illustrator. So what date are you looking at for release? 
Um, we have a tentative release date for March 2021. Um, that's a date we feel we can make. And that's so, but then again, it's a staggered release schedule. So that's when we release the first episode. And then uh, there are nine episodes to follow on a weekly basis. So the release is sort of spread out. And the idea there is that based on the reaction to the initial episodes and the storyline interpretations and deductions that people take from it, we can adapt the later episodes to sort of push the story one way or another, which is another aspect of how we feel um, neurocracy is an interactive project in the vein of um, you know games like Her Story, where you tell the story to yourself, but we're now in a position where we can look at how people are telling that story and sort of adapt it or push it a certain way or wrong foot them to create this sort of collaborative storytelling experience. I mean, again, that's maybe a very romantic notion. I mean, we wouldn't want to prescribe too much as to how people engage with neurocracy, but it would be nice. <laughs> And is there? Do you, do you feel that there would be? Uh, you know, if if, it, if if all goes well, would you be, do you be leaving space to add further things on after those initial five episodes? Um, of course, the uh, the medium sort of lends itself to that. We can have DLC in the form of additional articles set in that world, written by people who were, you know, compelled enough to want to write in that world. Um, because we can basically turn any kind of stub into an article. Um, we were also very interested in, once the main story has concluded, into opening it up so people can edit articles and write their own fiction in that world. Again, should it compel them to do that? So we have a lot of ideas on how we can, you know, make it sort of a narrative project that lasts a little longer but doesn't have a very definitive ending or, again, all fanciful notions but maybe who knows how they'll present themselves to us that's um yeah i'm really excited about it oh thank you thank you so much it is a really really cool project thank you so much for talking to us that was it was really a really good interview oh it was my absolute pleasure thank you so much for um talking to me and having me on it's been uh, it's been amazing and that was johannes Troyans. i found that super interesting Yes, what a nice and interesting and coherent man, unlike us. That was uh, oh, it was very he impressive. He shows us up. He, he Maybe really he's going to take over the pod. Maybe he's going to make a game based on the pod. Oh, God. And make us even more extraneous to need than we are. Well, with his weekly cadence, he'd certainly beat some of our other spin-off podcasts. <laughs> We've got to sustain this. More interesting, <laughs> <laughs> coherent people, please. But for now, farewell. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>